Good afternoon. This is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the Inland Pacific Northwest of the USA. Today is the 20th of March, 2021, and I believe that marks the first day of spring, and it couldn't come any sooner because springtime is just okay with me. So let's get started. Remember, I do authentic biochemistry because I have nothing better to do, which means I think it's a really good thing to do. And uh, we were doing um, a discussion of cytokines last time we met. And what I want to do is continue along this uh, immunological lecture. And I'm going to uh, hit on a couple of key things today, which are going to get us deeply involved in carcinogenesis, aging, and the immune system. So uh, I'm going to tentatively call this uh, topic of this the emergence of senescence-associated cancer-like stem cells, but I'm going to talk a lot just about T lymphocytes uh, in general, okay, and then about how T lymphocytes interact with senescence-associated cancer stem cells, which are linked to the aging process. All right, so first of all, I want to remind you, that activation-induced cell death of T cells is actually a really important dynamic for regulating the peripheral immune system. So the fate of all these T cells that we talk about, that fate is controlled by numerous cytokine, chemokine growth factor signals. And of course, they're derived from multiple stimuli. Um, you can get them from foreign antigens. You can get it, again, from... Uh, cytokines and chemokines synthesized from innate cells or even from other um, lymphocyte lineages. Now, in a healthy human, an overreactive or autoreactive T lymphocyte is going to be, of course, eliminated to maintain a healthy immune system. So that's why you get this activation-induced cell death. And actually, it's generated by a FAS FAS L, that's a ligand receptor mediated apoptosis. And FAS is FAS ligand is FAS L and FAS is the receptor. And so it's that whole system is triggered by a switch which goes basically from homeostatic to programmed cell death. And it requires not only the FAS FAS L, but lots of other signaling molecules, as you might guess, to commit to that cell fate. And so people have talked about the control and distribution of FAS and FAS cell expression. And that is, of course, intimately linked to this activation-induced cell death of T cells. It's something we're going to talk about and consider later, along with all these other factors which mediate uh, T cell lineage destruction. The reason that's important, the reason I'm beginning it, uh, the whole lecture today about it, is because T cells can become overreactive. And when they are, they can induce an autoimmune response. And the autoimmune response is increasingly common as you age, okay? So, indeed, an impaired immunological response is the most common feature of the elderly. You need immunological competence, of course, and that's in each individual, and it's gonna be determined by the total number or presence of mature lymphocytes, which of course are going to be initially formed with from primary lymphoid organs and also from secondary lymphoid tissues, which you find in oh, liver, lung, GI tract, for example. 
So you have lymph nodes and you also have the spleen and you have the thymus. Those are general locations for uh, lymphocyte production. But then you also have lymphocyte-like cellular structures or cell masses in various solid organs. And that's what I'm trying to get you to see here. What that will generate is an immunological equilibrium. And of course, that requires a steady lymphocyte output. Naive lymphocytes is the key. And of course, you have to have a controlled expansion so that you don't get this runaway auto-reactive autoimmune response, which tends to happen in aging. So you have thymic and lymph node stromal microenvironments, and they represent key features of the development of this entire adaptive immune system. Consequently, an impairment of that lymphoid microenvironment is going to lead to an insufficient primary and secondary immune response. Um, and that can be associated with a decline, of course, in thymic selection for the T lymphocytes. And that manifests as an immune senescence, which is part of the aging, immunosenescence. And it's accompanied by, of course, as, I, as I've been saying throughout uh, this uh, last six months, late onset autoimmune disorders, which you see in the elderly. So you have to have self-tolerant cytotoxic and helper T lymphocytes. And the crucial regulator of that is going to then be the transcription factors that are going to be generated during positive and negative selection of the T lymphocytes. And that will then be the centerpiece for the adaptive immune response. And it's going to develop in specialized epithelial networks of that thymus. So the thymus, however, it gradually loses its capacity to support lymphopoiesis. And that's because of an involution process that results in a decline of de novo lymphocyte production. Okay. Again, where does that happen? Aging. Or if you have a compromise in the immune system, caused by some of the etiologic agent, for example. So compared to young counterparts, the aged follicular dendritic cells express significantly less of a ligand, a CD21 ligand, and also the FC gamma R2 transcription factor. Now, as a consequence of that, aged follicular dendritic cells lose their ability to trap immune complexes and present antigens for example, the B cells and also the T cells. That in turn leads to an impaired germinal center reaction and antibody production of this is the B cell lineage. And you get quantitative changes in the peripheral lymphoid tissues throughout, far less corrupted during aging and uh, unlike the adipose involution of the thymus, okay? So you can have an involution of the lymphoid um, from follicular dendritic cells, and these can be triggering B cells. And that's not going to corrupt the lymphoid tissue. But if you get an adipose, uh, adipocyte involution of the thymus, that will corrupt the thymus. And of course, if aging is associated with obesity, that involution from adipose is going to occur much more frequently. Now, T cell progenitors migrate to the thymus from bone marrow, you recall. And they undergo this extensive differentiation selection. 
So thymocytes represent different stages of development, occupy distinct regions of the thymus. I went over this actually uh, back in October, I think. So you have CD4 minus, CD8 minus, CD44 positive, CD25 negative thymocyte progenitors. These are all going to be cell surface uh, membrane proteins that are going to be um, the calling cards of these naive uh, thymocytes, okay? And um, those progenitors are going to be called double negatives or DN1s because they they're CD4 negative, CD8 negative. Okay, so they're called double negatives. And, of course, where they're found is near the site of entry, and that's the cortical medullary junction. Now, the slightly more mature CD4 minus, CD8 minus, CD4, 44 positive, CD25 positive, which are still DN2s. These are now double negative two because you have CD44 and CD25 expressed. That subset is found throughout the cortex. And then you have one more, which is CD4 minus, CD8 minus, CD44 minus, and CD25 positive. Those are called the DN3s, or the double negative threes. <laughs> and that subset is concentrated just below the capsule in the thymus. So after recombination processing of the antigen receptor genes, you get CD4 positive, CD8 positive, uh, which are also known as DPs or double positive thymocytes. And of course, then they're going to undergo a positive, which is functional TCR, and negative non-self-reactive TCR selection. That's going to all happen in the cortex and the medulla of the thymus. Finally, they'll leave the thymus if they pass that selection for the periphery, and they're going to then come out as CD4 minus CD8 positive, and those are going to be the cytotoxic T cells. Oh, they're going to be CD4 positive, CD8 minus. Those are the helper T lineages, and those are also known as single positives. And, and basically, these are mature, naive T lymphocytes. Okay. So T-cell development requires an interaction of the thymocytes with the thymic stroma of the T-cell differentiation and selection process, okay? So that stroma is where this is going to happen. There's a transcription factor called FOXN1, and its expression is er occurs in the early stages of thymal uh, organogenesis, we can call it, and that's regulated by a secreted WENT4 protein where mature thymic epithelium consists, of course, of that cortex medulla, which, apart from producing chemokines, which function to attract hemopoietic stem cells to the thymus, the ones we just were describing, it all, these chemokines also contribute to establishing a special thymic microenvironment, protein environment. So the thymic epithelial network regulates migration, and differentiation, because those chemokines, of those developing T lymphocytes, and that's all done with that special subset of chemokines, those uh, which, which are themselves a cytokine, so we call that a cytokine stimulation uh, mechanism. So thymocytes bear diverse TCR repertoires, and they're selected by the major histocompatibility complex molecules, and these MHC bound antigens are presented by the thymic stroma, including epithelial cells. So they're presenting proteins of cell, right? Now recall that during T cell development, precursors enter the thymus, I just mentioned this, at the corticomedullary junction, and they only 
eventually migrate to the outer cortex and then onward to the medulla. And there they finally leave, uh, you go to the periphery when they're finished with the selection process. So the cortex is important throughout this because it produces the chemokines, which attract these immature bone marrow derived immature, which are gonna become thymocytes. And so they attract what are known as the pro-thymocytes and they, uh, these chemokines, and they indeed orchestrate that whole positive selection process. It's going down again in the medullary epithelium. Again, remember that we're talking about epithelium here because it's gonna be a key cellular component in carcinogenesis and how T cells function against those cancer-associated senescing systems and structures in, in the periphery. So all that's been implicated in driving the final stages of thymocyte maturation, uh, and then you ultimately get, of course, uh, tolerance. So thymic epithelium, again, is also the source of these other secreted and cell-surface proteins that regulate T-cell development, and those proteins are going to include a couple of other key features, uh, uh, key proteins. It's the morphogenic protein, or bone morphogenic protein, BMP, notch, and went. So those are three key proteins at the beginning of this whole process. Now, let me talk about cancer. Cancers of the epithelium are known as carcinomas. They're the most common type of malignancy in humans, and their incidence and aggressiveness increases with, yep, you guessed it, age. Now, that observation raises the question as to whether aging process itself contributes to tumor progression or if tumor progression occurs um, not so much related to the aging, but coincidental with it, okay? So in that regard, telomere biology and mechanisms do play or seem to play a pivotal role since shortening of the telomeres has been associated with cellular senescence and organismal aging, as we talked way back when at the beginning of the aging lectures, but it's, those two things are also linked with cancer incidence and uh, mortality. So in the multi-step carcinogenesis model of aging, telomere shortening is, has been observed together with increased chromosome instability. Chromosome instability is called SIN or CIN, and that often occurs in early precancerous states. Experimental models have also shown there's a transient period of telomere instability which is exactly prodromal to the production of increased chromosomal instability. You have telomere instability, then you have entire chromosomal instability, that's what I'm saying. And that's of course followed normally during the early stages of this when you're younger by a reactivation of telomerase, which of course is going to, if it occurs inappropriately, can contribute to a, the acquisition of a metastatic phenotype which of course has been bad. Now, what about um, senescence-associated secretory cells, okay, the SASPs, right? Telomere-driven chromosomal instability, that's called T-SYN, and human epithelial kidney cells will induce MER production, that's microRNA, and those MERs that are generated because of chromosomal instability in these epithelial kidney cells, where this is studied, those global microRNAs become dysregulated, and the, you get an acquisition of a constellation of phenotypes 
And all of those suggest a prodromal metastatic um, capability. Now, on the other hand, senescent cells display that so-called senescence-associated secretory phenotype. I always talk about SAS. And that actually comprises the secretion of a large variety of cytokines and growth factors and enzymes, like metalloproteinases, that are expected to alter the surrounding microenvironment, and they function, of course, paracrine, right? So we have something else to consider here now. And this is known as the epithelial to mesenchymal transition, or EMT. EMT is becoming, and has become for the last almost 10 years now, the, the key emerging mechanism which may link cancer to senescence, okay? It's been shown that senescent fibroblasts can promote tumor progression and indeed tumor genesis by pre-malignant cells. So SAS can also impact the differentiation status of tumor cells and will indeed induce an epithelial to mesenchymal transition. On the other hand, cancer-associated fibroblasts, which can also be senescent fibroblasts, promote the tumorigenesis of pre-malignant cells. So there's two different levels of discussion here, okay? All right, so an epithelial mesenchymal transition, or EMT, is a biological process that allows a polarized epithelial cell which normally interacts with basement membranes via its basal surface to undergo multiple biochemical changes that enable it to assume a mesenchymal cell phenotype. That includes, that phenotype includes, of course, enhanced migratory capacity, invasiveness, elevated resistance to programmed cell death, and a greatly increased production of extracellular matrix components. Okay, so now you're getting this transition phenotype, right? So the completion of the epithelial mesenchymal transition is signaled by the degradation of that underlying basement membrane and the formation of a mesenchymal cell that can migrate away from the epithelial layer from where it originated, okay? Now, distinct molecular processes are engaged in order to initiate that EMT, okay, the epithelium is equal transition. And that includes, again, as you might, of course, have surmised, the activation transcription factors. That means activation and or induction of their transcription. Subsequently, the expression of specific cell surface proteins, uh, including receptors reorganization, expression of cytoskeletal proteins, production of extracellular matrix de degrading enzymes like the metalloproteases, and of course changes, as I had mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, and the expression of a specific subset of microRNAs, which are going to alter gene expression. So you get biomarkers for this ETM transition, and you can study them in the zona occludens, and these involve mucin cell surface associated proteins, the MIR200, the microRNA200. Uh, and there's also a survival of motor neuron protein interacting protein one, that's a CYP1 protein, and a Foxhead box C2 
uh, transcription factors. So you started with an epithelial phenotype. And these epithelial cells are going to be expressing E cadherin, cytokeratin, laminin, intactin, syndactin, these mu mucin, also desmoplakin or desmoplakin. You're also going to be having high levels of alpha-1, which is the type 4 collagen. And as I mentioned, the microRNAs of the 200 family, the mere 200s. Now, an immediate phenotype as cells transition starts to occur, and you get a progressive loss of those epithelial markers. I just mentioned you all those proteins, like the cadherin and cytokeratin. And you start gaining mesenchymal markers. So the full mesenchymal, mesenchymal phenotype, you're going to get FSP1, which is actually the FTS binding protein. You're going to get snail, slug. Those are two exotic names for two proteins that, that show up. Uh, you're going to also get not E-cadherin, but N-cadherin, vimentin, fibronectin, beta-catenin, OB-cadherin, and syndicane-1. And you're going to get, start making MER 10 beta and MER 21, as well as this FOXC2, as I just mentioned, a 4CAD box C2 transcription factor. And then you're fully in a mesenchymal phenotype. Okay. So you understand that this transition can be mapped. It's been well examined. So you can look at this occurring in cell culture uh, without any problem. Now, of course, this is happening in homeostatic tissue that has made that transition for some unknown reason during the aging process. And that's what we're trying to get involved in. How much are T lymphocytes involved in this process? And does this have to do with lack of self-recognition of this transition because it's a transition of host cells? So it bypasses the T cell measurement via um, uh, dendritic cell presentation of those proteins? Or does it have something to do with the microenvironment of shutting down some of the transcription factors. And that can include microRNAs and also the cell host of cytokines and chemokines, which can signal away from, right, um, an immune response. And that's, what, that's the whole thing we're talking about here. Like how does the immune response become um, debilitated during this known EMT, uh, epithelial mesenchymal transition? So, the mesenchymal stem cells themselves, the ones that are generated, are multipotent, and they're going to be stromal cells. And of course, they can differentiate into a variety of cell types. They can be osteoblasts, which of course are bone cells, chondrocytes, which are cartilage cells, myocytes, muscle cells, and of course, adipocytes. So a mesenchymal stem cell, depending on what transcription factors are expressed, including things that we know well, like insulin, uh, or the Wnt5b protein, or the noggin protein, that will take a mesenchymal stem cell and turn into a white preadipocyte. You continue to um, have BIMP, uh, the BMP protein, that bone marrow protein we talked about, uh, and more insulin and noggin, and you'll get a full white adipocyte differentiation. You can also have these mesenchymal stem cells um, being altered because of gene expression changes because of the TGF beta. You're going to get then a myogenic precursor. And the myogenic precursor, if it's uh, a BMP7, is exposed to those cell lineages. 
you'll make a brown preadipocyte, and finally a brown adipocyte after BMP7 increases to cause act as a modifier of transcription. If you have more um, fibroblast growth factor and TGF beta, you'll make a myoblast, and that myoblast in the presence of PDGF beta, WIN4, can make a skeletal muscle. Uh, in the presence of F more FGF4 and FGF8, you can then make a cardiac muscle in the presence of BMP4. Or with just WIN4 and WIN7B, you'll make a smooth muscle cell in the injury. Okay? Um, as I said, you can also make chondrocytes, immature osteoblasts. I'm not going to go through all the transcription factors for those, but you get the idea. Starting with a mesenchymal stem cell, which can be renewed because of transcription factors can be expressed within those cell lineages, you can make all those other subsets I just mentioned to you. Okay. So general concepts about the uh, transition, the epithelial mesenchymal transition, or indeed if it's mesenchymal epithelial transition going back, right, which can occur. Cells within a terminally differentiated epithelium can indeed change their phenotype through the activation of the EMT program, and that enables what's known in cell biology as transdifferentiation. And that's going to result in the conversion of epithelial cells to mesenchymal derivatives during development and all the way through adulthood. Those programs can be activated in association with tissue repair, pathological processes such as pathogen induction or pathogen secretion or degradation of pathogen surfaces making antigens are being presented. Two, uh, first of all, through the innate immune response and then ultimately through T lymphocytes. And that's going to include, uh, the, that EMT can, be, can include, once that process is occurring that I just described to you because of pathogens, it can induce inflammation. And in fact, you can also induce high-grade carcinoma because these are epithelial cells, right? So accordingly, epithelial mesenchymal transition constitutes a recognized mechanism just for simple dispersal of the cells and embryos. That forms all the mesenchymal cell lineages I just described to you, but it also forms mesenchymal cell lineages in injured or diseased tissues. That can initiate then ultimately the invasive metastatic behavior of carcinomas, which again are epithelial cancers, okay? So type 1 EMT is associated with implantation and embryonic gastrulation, of course, and that gives rise to the mesoderm and the endoderm and the mobile neural crest cells. The primitive epithelium, specifically the epiblast, gives rise to primary mesenchyme, and that is also via the same program of EMT. This primary mesenchyme can be reinduced to form a secondary epithelia by further processing through the EMT pro process. It's Now, people speculate that such secondary epithelia may further differentiate to form other entire types of epithelial tissues and undergo the ultimate subsequent EMT to generate the cells of the connective tissue. And those include really important ones in the central nervous system like astrocytes. But also in the periphery, you can make adipocytes and chondrocytes, osteoblasts, and of course, myoblasts.
Now, EMTs are re-engaged in the context of inflammation. This is also very important to understand. And fibrosis, which is followed after inflammation because of cell death. And that resents with, uh, represents what that people call type 2 e, uh, EMT, epithelial mesenchymal transition. Now, unlike the type 1, the type 2 transition is expressed over extended periods of time. So it's not a developmental process. And it eventually can destroy an affected organ if that primary inflammatory insult isn't removed very quickly or it becomes attenuated because of the infiltration of T lymphocytes. So finally, I can say the secondary epithelia associated with many organs can unfortunately transform via the EMT into a cancer cell that later will undergo further EMT and that will then enable full-blown invasion and metastasis. And that then that last type of process represents the third EMT. And that's the one that's only associated with cancer. Okay. So you get you're getting now the how this is all connected, uh, literally, right? Because these are all cell lineages. So I'm going to stop there because uh, the next phase of this lecture, which I'm going to do tomorrow which will be Sunday, is going to follow along this process of T lymphocyte and epithelial cell transitions, which are going to come together in the aging process. Okay, So this is um, sort of a feed-forward lecture for what I'm going to do eventually is pull this all together, and we're, we're coming close to it now. So I'm ending today with uh, this saying, this is Dr. Dan Guerra from Authentic Biochemistry Studios saying bye for now.